Life's going okay. You go to church. Your relationships are relatively healthy. You're happy overall. But really, why settle for just okay? Jesus came so you might have life and have it to the full. There's so much more of God's goodness to taste and see. You only get one life. Live well. Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses today, meeting throughout the Twin Cities. Way to make it to church, way to go. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online today, wherever you might be around the country and world, always glad when you can join us as well. You know, one of the great things about living in Minnesota is our excellent medical care. We have some of the best hospitals in the nation, and just 90 miles away in Rochester is the Mayo Clinic, which is the world's best. John Hopkins in Baltimore, the Cleveland Clinic are up there, but Mayo Clinic is number one in the world. Presidents and heads of states from other countries fly in on, for their annual checkups, as do CEOs and dignitaries. The most difficult cases end up at the Mayo Clinic uh, for the best treatment by the finest doctors on the planet. So you might imagine how thrilled and how terrified our son-in-law Nellie was when he found out that he would be doing his first year of surgical residency at the Mayo Clinic. He said, the first night I felt like a fish out of water, that I should not even be there. I was clueless about where to go and what to do. I stood in the hallway that night with my new scrubs and stethoscope looking for a friendly face or for someone to help me out. I finally found the room where I was supposed to go to, but nobody was there. Eventually, a physician's assistant came in who, with almost no instructions, handed me a list of 40 patients 14 surgeon pagers, and the trauma pager. Nellie said in a matter of 24 hours, I went from walking our dog and doing nothing to having 40 patients and 15 pagers at the Mayo Clinic. He said five minutes into my first shift ever, the trauma pager went off with a level one severity in ATV accident. I was so overwhelmed, I wanted to cry. Then four months later, he was on call one night, and there was an emergency appendectomy that came in. So Nellie got paged, and nobody knows the difference, you know, between a first-year resident and an experienced surgeon. When you go to mail, you assume you're getting the best. But Nellie runs down, and he suddenly he's facing a surgery that he has never done before. He has closed some surgeries and made some sutures, but this was the real deal. I said, Nellie, what did you do? Direct quote. He said, I got on YouTube... And I typed in how to remove an appendix. I took some notes, scrubbed up, and I dove in. I said, well, I said, how'd it go? He said, amazingly well. He said, you make three small incisions, feed the camera through, cut the appendix away from the colon wall, staple it up, and you're good to go. I said, sort of like flaying a fish. He said, exactly. I said, what if you nicked the colon wall? He said, that'd be really bad. Now, before you get all concerned about going to the hospital, and if you face surgery these days, sorry about that, hang in there. But before you get too concerned, Mayo Clinic is a teaching hospital, so there was a staff surgeon watching, walking him all through this thing. But my point is, when it comes to medicine, you want the best technology and treatment in the world, and nobody does it better. 
than the male clinic. Nellie's experience there accelerated his skills tenfold because Mayo is the absolute best. It's the leader, the gold standard. It is the Ten Commandments of Medicine that everybody else in the world follows. Today we begin a new series called Live Well because the Ten Commandments, based on the Ten Commandments, only it's not the Ten Commandments of Medicine, it's the Ten Commandments for Life. These commandments were given to Moses by God during a time in history when there wasn't any divinely written instruction for how to live life. Nothing written down. No Bible, no instructions. Before the time of Moses, God revealed himself in a dream to a guy named Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And Abraham and Sarah were really old and they laughed at God, but they had a son, Isaac. And this was the beginning of God's people, the Israelites, who flourished. They grew and flourished among lots of pagan nations. Eventually, they became so numerous that they became a threat, especially to the Egyptians, who decided to enslave them for 430 years, the Jews, the Hebrews. Finally, God raised up a Hebrew baby, Moses. He grew up to be a fine leader, great leader. And Moses led 600,000 Hebrew people out of Egypt. They left with a few personal items in gunny sacks. And imagine now 600,000 people traveling on foot for 40 years on their way to a foreign country they've never even seen before. They have no instructions, no laws, no homes, churches, or schools. They don't even know each other, really. All they had was a promise that God was going to make them into a new nation that would bless the entire world. But how should they live? Who makes the rules? What if we have conflicts among our, our, each other? Who are we to worship and how should we worship? I want you to see now, Moses gathered the entire nation together in one place. Look what he says. First thing out of the gate for this nation. He says, look, God brought you out of Egypt with a great display of power he drove out nations far greater than you so he could bring you in and give you their land as a special possession. So remember this and keep it firmly in your mind. The Lord is God and there is no other God. Keep his commands, which I'm about to give you today. And I love this little phrase, so that. Why should we keep his commands? So that it may go well for you. And for your kids. And that you will enjoy a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you today. Moses says these are God's instructions that are necessary for you to live and thrive. Follow them so that life will go well for you. Want to get the best medicine advice, medical advice? Go to Mayo Clinic. Want to get the best life advice? Start with the Ten Commandments so that life will go well for you. Now, real quickly, the first four commands are all about our relationship with God, how to relate to God. The last six are how to relate to each other. In other words, if you get your relationship with God straight, you can get your relationship with people straight. In fact, when Jesus was pressed on this issue, someone asked him, Jesus, what's the greatest commandments? He said, it comes down to two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That if you get your relationship with God squared away, you can learn how to love each other and get along with other people. That if we get our relationship with God right, 
it goes well. Here's the Ten Commandments. Some of us don't even know what they are. Most of us don't, actually. I don't know if I could even recite them word for word. First one is this. Have no other gods before me right out of the gate. Second, don't make idols or worship them. Don't misuse God's name in vain. Don't use God's name uh, you know, carefully, uncarefully. Observe the Sabbath, which is what we're all doing today, to keep it holy, to worship God. All about honoring and knowing God. Second six, honor your mom and dad. I mean, this is the beginning of a good life. It assumes that your parents are honorable. Okay, but honor your mom and dad. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie or give false testimony. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, house, or land. And that's it. God says, look, do these 10 things and your life, I'm telling you, will go amazingly well. And most of them aren't even that hard. You know, God's like, hey, could you not like kill each other? I mean, come on. Could you not like steal and not take each other's wives? I mean, give me a break. It's not that difficult, God's saying. Live by these basic commands and life will go well for you. Now, the very first thing that God asks his people to never, ever, ever violate so that life will go well for them is this, have no other gods before me. Now, this, this seems obvious. So why did God say that? Here's the reason. Because God knows how tempting it is for us to make and pursue other things as our God. God gave this command to his chosen people because the nations around them worshipped all kinds of false gods. They had a sun god, moon god, wind and rain god, fertility god, cow god, sheep god, here a god, there a god, everywhere a god, god in that culture. I mean, you name it, it was a god. But that's not our problem, is it? Our false gods are a lot more subtle than that. For example, maybe it's an entertainment god that takes God's place, or an affluence god, that's number one, or Harley Davidson. <laughs> Sorry. Our gods might be golf, cars, might even be a relationship that we're putting before God. Even our own personal comfort, it might be ourselves that can take the place of God. God says, look, if you want a full and prosperous life, if you want my full blessing on you, have no other gods before me. And it's this little phrase, before me, that caught my attention this week and caused me to wonder, Bob, is there anything you are putting before God? Anything taking a more prominent place in my life than my worship and loyalty to God? Is there anything in my life getting the first part of my time, my energy, or my money? Or is God truly, truly my first priority and my first desires? Now, none of the things I mentioned are wrong. But is God really first in my life? Or am I putting something before him? Now, I almost never do this in my teaching, but I'm going to show you an acrostic to help us kind of guide us through this. And the first thing I would say that God wants to be first in your life is first in your finances. Is God first when it comes to money? Honor the Lord, the Bible says, by giving him the first part of your income. Why should we do that? Because Jesus said where your money is, that's where your heart is going to be. That there's a direct connection between your money and your heart. If God's not first in my finances, he's not going to be first in my heart. 
and I will put other things before him, and I'm going to miss out on his fullest blessing. Question, is God first in your life when it comes to money? Look at Deuteronomy 14, 22 says, you must tithe all your income. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first. Tithe means tenth. My wife and I, Lori, have done this all our lives. Every dollar we earn, the first 10%, every dollar, goes right back to God. We've given the first 10% of everything we earn to make sure that God is first in our lives. And folks, I'm telling you, we believe it's one of the reasons our life has gone so well for us, not without problems, but I believe this is one of the reasons our kids have turned out and our health is good. And God is honoring and blessing our lives in so many ways I can't even count. So I want to ask you, is God first in your finances? Honestly, I think this is the biggest test whether God's number one in your life or not. I do. I just think it is because it's so close to our heart. Jesus said where your money is, that's where your heart is. And God will test you on this. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I were at Menards in Forest Lake. And I thought, why not make it a date? Big date. So we stopped at Keys there in Forest Lake and walked into Keys, bumped into a retired couple who we'd never met before, who for about 10 minutes told us how much they love our church and how involved they are, finally found our booth, and in the next booth over were four teenage kids. And we sat down, and, and pretty soon they were peering over the backside and kind of you know, giggling a little bit. So I got up, introduced myself, great kids, uh, tenders here at our church, Sat back down, ordered our meal, and I sat there, and I had this internal uh, spiritual nudge from God's spirit that said, Bob, why don't you pay for their dinners? I thought, I don't want to pay for their dinners. <laughs> I don't want to do that. And so I dismissed it. And again, this, this inner spiritual prompting by God's spirit, pay for their meals. I don't want to do that. And it wouldn't go away. Finally, I couldn't shake it. I said, Laura, I think we need to pay for their meals. She said, I was going to tell you to do that. And she said, what about the retired couple? I said, nah, they're good. <laughs> Got their bill. It was only $12.50. I thought, wow, that's great. $12.50, because one of the kids works for Keys, and they got half, half price, whatever. Went up to pay, and our waitress met us at the cashier, and she looked at my wife, and she said, I've heard all about you. I'm so excited to be able to finally meet you. And she introduced herself, and she goes to our church, great, great lady. And then she said, thank you for what you just did for those kids. Those are great kids. And I left the restaurant that day, and I thought, I'm so grateful. We passed the financial test, and then I listened to God's spirit. But I'm telling you, it all begins with Putting God first in your finances with tithing, it does. Creates a heart of generation. By the way, do you think God honors that sort of thing? He absolutely does. In ways you'll never dream. Okay, the I, second. Put God first in your interests. How does that work? My interests are my family, fishing, guns, and golf, among other things. It means that when I go fishing or golfing, I begin by just thanking God for the gifts that these things are to me. Recognizing that God is the source of all good things. And I just whisper a prayer, God, thank you for these gifts 
that you've given to me to enjoy it and invite God into the activity so that it's not just golf. It's appreciating the entire experience of walking the fairways and playing golf and being with those I love as God-given gifts to be thoroughly enjoyed. My son and I were talking about this. When he was, when he was a caddy, when he was just 10 years old, one of the members at the golf club he was caddying for came in just spitting mad. And he announced to all the caddies, he said, I just threw my driver into the swamp on hole number four. Anybody who wants it can go get it. My guess is that God was not first in that guy's life. Golf was first. So Dave ran out, retrieved a brand new driver, and he gave it to me. And I've been using it for 10 years. Actually, I did use it for 10 years as a gift from God. And from my son and from this guy who, you know, hasn't learned how to have a bad shot and just say, oh, well, that, was, that wasn't the best shot. Just enjoying the gifts of God. Making God first in your interest makes everything so much better. R stands making, for making God first in my relationships. You know, relationships, life comes down to the relationships that we have with each other. Is God first? You know, when God's first in your relationship, you can't just f- flip people off anymore. I mean, come on. You'd like to, sometimes. But if you're still flipping people off in traffic, come on. <laughs> you, you, have, you have some spiritual growth that needs to probably take place. I know people are maddening. I know that. But if God's first, here's the word, you'll begin to be more self-controlled to honor him. Even though the other person is a total jerk, I know. (laughs) You'll apologize more, because we're all screw-ups. If you haven't apologized in recent months, that's a spiritual problem. You've got a blind spot, so do I. If I'm not apologizing, you'll actually care for people. Like Jesus, you will give yourself up on occasion. The Bible says love each other by giving yourself up. Nobody wants to do that. Of course not. But love requires that sometimes you sacrifice. Also, if you want God first in your relationships, you have to choose your friends carefully. Look at Proverbs says about this. A righteous person is really cautious. They're discerning. They're wise. You can't just hook up with anybody. There are some relationships, friends, that are dead wrong for you, that pull you away from your relationship with God. But when God is first in your relationship, you begin to ask questions like this. God, who do you want me to hang around with? Is this relationship honoring to you? How do you want me to behave? How can I show love toward people who are hard to love? Teenagers and young people here today especially, when God is first in your relationships... You stop caving in to peer pressure. Because you stand up. You can be a leader. You find your identity and strength in Christ, not, when, not in what somebody else thinks about you. S stands for putting God first in my schedule. Bible says make the most of your time because the days are evil. How do you put God first in your schedule? Well, you ask God to help you use your time wisely. You get up in the morning, you say, God, I've got 17 things to do today. I only have time for five. 
But instead of just rushing in blindly, God, which five do you want me to do? And the others aren't just, it's not going to get done, the other 12. Let me give one warning sign that God might not be first in your schedule. Here's a warning sign. That you consistently miss church and neglect reading your Bible. Friends, if you can't make it to church once a week and read your Bible 10 minutes each day, then my guess is God is not first in your schedule. TV is first. Facebook, entertainment, work, kids' sports is first. The reason life is not going well for some of you is because God is not first in your schedule, and you're the only one who can change that. By the way, you're all here today. Way to go. Is that a priority, a consistent habit in your life? And I want to say something to the dads here. If you're a dad here today, I just, I'm so proud of you that you have led yourself and if you're married, led your spouse and led your family to church. Your family will follow your lead in just about everything in life. Moms are important, I get that, but dads, I'm telling you right now, way to go if you're consistent in your Bible reading and your attendance in church. God is going to honor that in your life and in your children's life forever. Lead the way, dads. Way to go if you're doing that. Some of you need to decide today, I'm going to make church and Bible reading a top priority so that nothing in my schedule comes before God. You don't have time to do everything. So you've got to make wise choices to make sure God is first. T finally, T stands for trouble. Bible says, call on me. Do you call on God? Call on me in the day of trouble. Some of you may have had a battle on the way to church today. You're not happy right now. You know, call on me and I will deliver you. I will help you. Trouble is a part of life. And you and I are going to have trouble. What kind of trouble? Car trouble, all kinds. Work trouble, trouble with health. Roommate trouble. If you're a college student going away to colleges, you are going to have roommate trouble guaranteed. Lots of it. A couple of years ago, I had three car accidents in two weeks. Three in two weeks. Was it because of sin? No, it's because other people cannot drive. It's like, <laughs> it's like bumper cars out there. Everybody knows it. Point is, accidents are a part of life, but God says, look, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. So when you are having trouble at work, home, school, trouble with your health, health is calling on God the very first thing you do, or is it the last resort? Oh, yeah, maybe I should call on God. When God's first in my trouble, friends, I'm telling you, I have this quiet assurance that God can handle it. That no matter how bad it gets, God is still in charge of the world. He's still in charge of my life. He can deliver me, and he will when I call on him. So God says, have no other gods before me. Is God first in my finances, my interests, my relationship, schedule, and trouble? If he is, life, I'm telling you, life will go well. Now, this command to have no other gods before him was first given to Israel as a nation. I mention this because back in 1776, America, our country, was a new nation. And while not all founding fathers were Christians, almost all of them believed in God. And they said it was this belief in God 
that would give America the moral foundation that our nation needed to succeed, and without it, it would certainly fail. And for nearly 200 years, from 1776 to about the mid-1900s, some of you are old enough to remember this, the Ten Commandments were a part of the moral fabric of our country. In fact, so fundamental was the belief in the primacy of God for our own nation. John Adams, the second president of the United States, said this. He said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other kind of people or nation. Our Constitution, he said, was written only for a people who were moral and religious for a people who believed in God and took their moral cues from him. He said it was wholly inadequate to government of any other. In other words, if there's no moral and religious foundation to our nation, it would certainly fail, John Adams said. That the individual right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness would only work in a free society if each individual American was self-governed, self-governed, by an inner moral compass derived from God. John Adams said, if you think that a nation and a people who gives up on God and gives up on morality can survive, you're kidding yourselves. That our Constitution was written only assuming that this nation and this people would be moral and religious. He's just saying what God said and Moses said to the Israelites 3,000 years ago. He's just saying, look, have no other gods before me. Honor God. Take your cues from him so that life will go well, well for you. But here's the thing, friends. Don't expect our government today to be godly and moral. That ship, sadly, has sailed a long time ago. Our government today is no longer operating on godly and moral principles. So here's the deal. Here's the thing. It comes down to you and me. It really does. It comes down to each individual Christian, each of us. It comes down to each of us who says, look, I'm, I'm going to make, no matter what the government's going to do, I'm going to make God number one in my life. I'm going to trust him and ask him to guide my life so that it will go well for me and my family and my neighborhood and, yes, even my nation, that if I live as a Christian the way I should live, that it will have an influence of, in, on others around me. Friends, I'm telling you, it's not the government who's going to save this nation. It's each individual Christian who gets their act together and says, I'm going to honor God no matter what society says. I'm going to do what's right. It's the church of Jesus Christ who's going to save the day. Thanks for that. I'm glad you agree. You know, 10 days ago, I had the honor of playing in the Pro-Am at the 3M tournament in Blaine. And I was invited partly to raise awareness for Urban Ventures, whose goal it is to reach others for Christ in South Minneapolis. One of my golfing heroes is Bernhard Langer. He's a two-time Masters champion. He's a 10-time Ryder Cup player. And, of course, there's no way 
I would ever get paired with Bernhard Langer. There's a field of 80 or 90 professional players out there, and it would just be just a dream. But of course, I don't know how it happened, but there he was. And I was beside myself. On the first tee, I was just hoping not to miss the ball. I was just so nervous. I thought, if I can just get off the tee box. I survived that tee shot, got up to the green, and Bernhard is, is so precise and so dialed into his putts, and I was so jittery and so nervous. I didn't even see his ball marker, and I stepped right on the line, on his line, which in golf is a total sin. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's fine. Just hang with me. You never step on somebody's line. And I was actually standing on it. And I hear from behind me this German accent, watch your step. I wanted to die. I just wanted to, to, to go away right there. But Bernhard's a strong Christian, so at the end of the day, I asked him if he'd tell us about his faith. He joined us for lunch, and he sat down. He said, I, I grew up going to church. But I never heard that I could have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. She said, so in 1985, I was playing in the Masters, and at the turn, I just happened to look and glance at the leaderboard, and I saw that I was behind. And I cursed. I said, Jesus Christ, how can I be so far behind? And the cameras heard it. National TV picked it up. He said, I went on to win the tournament. But later that week, I got a stack of letters saying, how could you curse like that on TV? I'll never root for you again. I'm so disappointed that you won. He said that night, after he had just won the Masters tournament, he was laying in bed. He was on top of the world, 27 years old. And he thought to himself, how come I feel so empty? Something's missing. This is all there is. That week, he, he got invited to a Bible study that they have on tour, and the leader was teaching from John 3 where Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and Jesus said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to have a spiritual birth. You were born physically, but you need to have a spiritual birth in order to have a relationship with God. Langer said, I'd never heard that before. I thought he was reading from a different Bible. He said, two months later, I kept going to this Bible study. Two months later, I asked Jesus Christ into my life, and that was it. He said, I was all in. Never looked back. Then in 1993, Bernhard won the Masters again. And Jim Nance interviewed him, and Nance said, Bernhard, what's different about this Masters win? And on national TV, Langer said, well, Jim, today is Easter Sunday. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. When I won in 1985, I didn't have Christ in my life. And what makes this Masters so meaningful is that Jesus Christ is now my Lord and Savior. And that's the most important thing to me in the world. He was telling this just a few days ago at the lunch table, and I said, Bernhard, I remember that interview. I said, that was the day I became one of your biggest fans. And I'm telling you, he's the real deal. He said his faith in Christ is now the driving force in his life, so he no longer just plays golf. He has God with him in his marriage, his family, his work, how he conducts himself on tour. He said this, when God became first in my life, everything else became better 
in my life. So friends, have no other gods before him so that life will go well. We're going to continue our series, Live Well, next week. It's going to be a fantastic weekend at all campuses. Let's stand for closing prayer and be on our way today. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for your grace and your forgiveness. I need your forgiveness every single day because I am a sinner saved only by your grace. God, sometimes it's true you're not first in my life. I get my priorities screwed up just like anybody else does. And so I just need your forgiveness and your patience, and I thank you that you offered in spades to every one of us. God, I thank you for the the words that were spoken today from your word, and I pray that we will all just realign and evaluate, are you really first in all these areas? Thank you, God, for your mercy, your kindness, your healing touch. We all need it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on up. Have a great afternoon, everybody.